0: Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the UK True Crime Podcast, I'm Adam. Looking back at previous episodes, no doubt all of which to etched in your mind after re-listening to them so many times, a theme we see again and again is jealousy, often followed by revenge, and today is no exception, although today's story was played out across the nation as it featured a high-profile public figure. But before we start, a huge thank you to my supporters on Patreon, especially my new supporter, Janet Harker. Thanks, Janet. Much appreciated. But before we get started, let's put some context to the time the events we cover today started. That's the 12th of March, 2003. Top of the UK charts was Beautiful by Christina Aguilera, keeping Danny Minogue from number one with I Begin to Wonder. Me Too Danny, but I guess for very different reasons. In the US, 50 Cent was number one with Inda Club. And in Australia, the album charts this month were headed by Nora Jones with Come Away With Me. In the Oscars, the big winner was Chicago with Nicole Kidmon and Adrian Brody. And in the America's Cup, Olingi defeated Team New Zealand 5-0 to win in Auckland. But sadly... The UK news this month was dominated by the lead up to the disastrous invasion of Iraq. On March the 17th, senior government politician Robin Cook resigned as he was opposed to this course of action. 2 days later, the UK and US led coalition began the invasion. And just days later there were the first coalition deaths with 11 soldiers of the 507th Maintenance Company as well as 18 US Marines killed during the first major conflict of Operation Iraqi Freedom. Just a terrible, terrible conflict. So on to today's story. The son of a West London businessman and an amateur actor, his mum was once the voice of the speaking clock, Chris Hoon attended Westminster School before going to university in Oxford, where he obtained a first in politics, philosophy and economics. He edited the student magazine and was heavily involved in Labour politics, before attending the Sorbonne in France and becoming a journalist for a number of organisations. In the turbulent political times of the early 80s, he joined the Guardian newspaper where he worked on the economics team and in 1981 he joined the Labour breakaway party, the SDP. Remember them? He first stood for Parliament in 1983 but this was the election following the war in the Falkland Islands and Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher won a landslide victory, and Hume wasn't elected. In 1984, he married Greek-born economist Vicky Price, shortly after she divorced her husband, with whom she had two children. Vicky and Chris would go on to have three children together. Now, Hume was ambitious. He set up a company called Sovereign Ratings, a city ratings company that examined the wisdom of investments in different countries. And then he moved up through Fitch, one of the bigger ratings companies. Well, it's the smallest of the big three rating agencies that allocate these vital ratings and remove them from troubled firms and states. Gordon Rayner, writing in the Telegraph newspaper, points out that Hoon was soon a millionaire through his business interests. But it was political success that Hoon really craved. And with his wife by his side, he became part of a circle of influential Lib Dems, most notably Vince Cable, who's now leader of the party, and Lord Oakshot, the Coalition's former Treasury spokesman in the Lords. Cable, Lord Oakshot and their wives were regular dinner party guests at Hune's huge Georgian home in Clapham, and with their guidance he stood for and was elected to the European Parliament in 1999. During his six years as an MP for Southeast England, Hune combined politics with a role as Vice-Chairman, of Fitch, and built up a property portfolio of at least seven homes. He was a wealthy man. Life was good for Chris Hoon. He later described his philosophy about his family life, saying, relationships, including particularly family relationships, are actually the most important things in making people happy and fulfilled. He added, I also have a very hard-working and extremely intelligent wife who manages to earn far more than I do. And he was right, Vicky Price's career as an economist was progressing rapidly. And then came the day that would change both of their lives. As we so often hear on this podcast, it is often an incident that appears so insignificant at the time that later has huge implications. With a busy life, Hune racked up a number of miles in his car attending a variety of events. But he was an impatient driver, and he also racked up a number of penalty points for speeding and he was sitting on nine points, where one more set of three points would have triggered an automatic driving ban. But Hume was caught by a speed camera when driving through Essex on the M11 from Stansted Airport to his South London home. This was an offence that would have led to being banned from driving. What happened next isn't clear, but Vicky Price, who was at a conference in London that day, claimed that when Hoon received a penalty notice he falsely claimed it was she who had been driving the vehicle. Knowing how important it was for him to keep driving for his political ambitions, she agreed to take the blame so that the three points would go to her licence rather than his. This was an indication of just how supportive Price was for her husband's career, and later that year he did get banned from driving after being caught on his phone driving, and she would act as his driver on many occasions. But all of their hard work would seem worthwhile when two years later, Chris Hoon reached his goal of being elected to Parliament as the Liberal Democrat MP for Eastleigh, near Southampton, in Hampshire. He immediately made a strong impression in Parliament, and after the election of May 2010, the Liberal Democrats shored up David Cameron's Conservative Party, and suddenly the unthinkable had happened. There were Liberal Democrats in the Cabinet, and the leader of the party, Nick Clegg, was Deputy Prime Minister. And Chris Hoon was in the Cabinet as Secretary of State for Energy and Climate Change, as well as being the Liberal Democrat spokesman on Home Affairs. For a Liberal Democrat MP, this really was the pinnacle of any career. His wife, Vicky Price, was also doing well, and moving in the same circles as her husband. As we know, a lot of these things are interconnected, and who you know doesn't do any harm, does it? Well, depending on who you know, I suppose. Vicky Price was Chief Economics Advisor to Hoon's Lib Dem friend and colleague Vince Cable, the Business Secretary, which was also a Cabinet post. And she was also Head of the Government Economic Service, Joint Head that is, overseeing 1,500 public sector economists. So it was a big role. But although he was in the Cabinet, Hune still wasn't widely regarded as a heavyweight. During the coalition negotiations, it was said that the two sides were joking about him as he was so keen for a job to advance his personal ambition, he'd be happy to become the Downing Street janitor. He was also a particularly arrogant man. People didn't warm to him very easily. He had his hair cut at Vidal Sassoon by a woman who told clients she voted Lib Dem because of how eloquent he was. His tailor-made suits hung perfectly from his wiry frame. With the arrogance, the power, you can probably guess what happened next. It wasn't long after he was in Cabinet, in fact June 2010, that Vicky Price suffered the ultimate humiliation when it emerged that her husband had been having an affair with his former press aide, Karina Trimmingham. Trimmingham was, at 44, almost 13 years younger than Price. And what was even more surprising is she had been married to her female partner, Julie Bennett, they'd married in a civil partnership ceremony. Hune and Trimmingham had been conducting the affair at his constituency home in Eastleigh for more than a year. In a brief statement, 54-year-old Hune said, I'm in a serious relationship with Karina Trimmingham and I'm separating from my wife. Wow, isn't it just so blunt and final? For Price, this was devastating. From having a stable family life, she now discovered that her husband of 26 years had been unfaithful for at least the past 12 months. She learned that he was having an affair with a woman that she knew, one she no doubt trusted, and had often spoken to over the phone and in person at political events in the circles they both moved in. She learned that this betrayal was about to become public, that it was the subject of a tabloid expose, and that this, rather than some moment of moral clarity, was the reason that she was being told. And she was told at half-time in a football match. Maybe Hune should take my advice at the end of every podcast and stay classy. But then again, maybe it's a bit late for that. So she learned that her husband had made his choice, his mistress and his career over his wife and family. And all this was delivered to Vicky as a fait accompli. She was devastated. But she didn't hang about. Within a week, she'd filed for divorce on the ground of Hume's admitted adultery and put out a statement through her solicitors describing her tremendous shock. The pair were divorced in January 2011, but wounded, this wasn't enough. She wanted revenge. In 2011, she approached a reporter for the Mail on Sunday with a claim that her ex husband had pressurised people to take his driving licence penalty points on his behalf in 2003. Hune denied the allegations of perverting the course of justice and Essex Police said, We take allegations such as this one extremely seriously and will take action when necessary, and they began to investigate. Essex Police sent papers to the CPS regarding the allegations and Hune exercised his right to remain silent in response to police questions in May. On the twenty-fifth of June 2011, Essex Police said that a judge at the Crown Court in Chelmsford had granted them a court order to take possession of a recording from the Sunday Times in which the ex-couple apparently discussed the case. It then emerged that hune had again been interviewed by police concerning the allegations and on the 28th of July, the police handed the file to prosecutors. During this period of investigation, hune made numerous public denials of the accusations made against him. For example, on the 16th of May 2011, he said... These allegations have been made before and have been shown to be untrue. Then on 7th of July 2011, after being questioned by Essex Police, he said, There is no truth in these allegations, and I very much welcome this police inquiry. Then on the BBC flagship politics programme, The Andrew Marr Show, when questioned on whether he had asked someone to take his speeding points, he said, I've repeatedly denied these allegations, and I absolutely stick to that. We get it, Chris. Then on the 3rd of February 2012, the Department of Public Prosecutions announced that both Hune and his ex-wife Price had been charged with perverting the course of justice. Essentially, that Hune had given the speeding points to his wife. Hune had to resign from the cabinet, leaving his political career in tatters. He commented, I am innocent of these charges and I intend to fight this in the courts and I am confident that a jury will agree. In his resignation letter to Prime Minister Cameron, Hume said he was standing down to mount a robust defence against the charge. Just as an aside, when he resigned, multimillionaire Hume took the severance payment of more than £17,000 he was entitled to under the Ministerial and Other Pensions and Salaries Act, which was equal to a quarter of his £68,000 annual ministerial pay. But when lengthy attempts by his legal team to get the case thrown out failed, there was a change of plea. On the first day of his trial, he resigned as Eastleigh MP, ending his once promising political career. And on the 4th of February, he said, I've pleaded guilty today, after taking responsibility today for something that happened 10 years ago. The two trials weren't pleasant affairs. During her trial, Price told the court that her ex-husband prioritised his political ambitions throughout their marriage, forcing her to compromise her own career. She revealed in court that Hune demanded she have an abortion in 1990 because it would be bad for his career. But she went on to resist the same demands two years later, giving birth to their youngest child. Goodness me, how they must have felt hearing this. She said she'd been left fragile by the breakup and wanted to expose Hune's wrongdoing, but it was never her intention to ruin his career. The court heard how Price tried to trick Hoon into confessing all during a taped phone call, but he saw through it and told her, This is absolute cobblers. You are the only person batty enough to go to the press with this. As Price became more exasperated, she told him, There are people outside my door, and it's all to do with your points, and it's nothing to do with me. Another recorded phone call. Here's Hune tell Price there is no upside to talking to the papers. We also saw evidence of the effect on their children, especially their relationship with Hune, in excruciating text messages read out in open court. One of the children, called P, said, We all know that you are driving and you put pressure on mum, accept it or face the consequences. You've told me that was the case or will this be another lie? Hune replied, I have no intention of sending mum to Holloway Prison for three months. Dad. P said, Are you going to accept your responsibility? Or do I have to contact the police and tell them what you told me? Hune says, Discuss it with mum. P says, It's not about her. It's about your accepting your responsibility to me. With Hune replying, Happy to talk about it with you. Dad. And the relationship degenerated further. On the 22nd of July, P said, So nice to see our entire relationship reduced to lies and pleasantries in that letter. Do you take me for an idiot? The fact you said your parents were happier as a result of their divorce was disgusting. When you were having affairs, it makes me sick. You are the most ghastly man I've ever known. Does it give you pleasure that you have lost most of your friends? And the final one I'll read is on the 28th of December. Hune says... Have you had any news from St Peter's yet? Love, Dad. There's no answer. Congratulations, I'm really proud of you. Dad. Again, no answer. So Hume sends another text. Well, I'm proud and I love you. Dad. To which P replies, Leave me alone. You have no place in my life and no right to be proud. It's irritating that you don't seem to take the point. You are such an autistic piece of shit. Don't contact me again. You make me feel sick. Price's revenge, like the original lie, spiralled out of control for both as Price and Hune were both sentenced to eight months in prison for perverting the course of justice. Jurors rejected her defence that Hune had coerced her into taking the points and this lie led to her friend and barrister Constance Briscoe also being sent to prison for lying and losing her career. At the trial of Price, it was revealed that Briscoe had been arrested in relation to statements she'd made to police that she'd not had any involvement with the leaking of the driving licence, point-swapping story. But Briscoe was later convicted, sentenced to 16 months in prison and stripped of her barrister role. The prosecutor told the jury that Briscoe and Price had started it together by approaching a man called Andrew Alderson, a journalist working for the Mail on Sunday, falsely claiming that one of Hune's aides took points for him in 2003. The journalist stated that Briscoe was a neighbour and friend of Price and that the two of them appear to have cooked up a plan to bring about Hune's downfall. So Briscoe was another victim of the whole sorry affair. Sentencing Hune and Price at Southwark Crown Court on a Monday afternoon, the judge, Justice Sweeney, said, To the extent that anything good has come out of this whole process, it's that now, finally, you've both been brought to justice for your joint offence. Any element of tragedy is entirely your own fault. In 2003, the judge said, the pair had a long marriage, five children and stellar careers. But they also had a problem. Hune's looming six-month driving ban for speeding. You have fallen from a great height, he told Hune, adding that he'd reached that height only by lying about the points though he said Hune was somewhat, but not greatly in my view, more culpable than his ex-wife. The judge said that Price had shown an implacable desire for revenge following the end of her marriage, adding that her not guilty plea had revealed a controlling, manipulative and devious side to her character. She had, he went on, sought to manipulate and control the press so as to achieve her dual objective of bringing down Hune and not implicating herself. Neither gave any visible reaction to their sentences or looked at each other. As the judge ordered they be taken down to begin their sentences, Hume went first. His former wife waited a few seconds for him to disappear through the door, and with the slightest of nods to her legal team and the judge, she followed him out. Hume and his ex-wife were released on 13th May 2013, having both served two months of their eight-month sentences. Following their release, both were subjected to electronic tagging, with Hune required to stay in his home between 7pm and 7am. After leaving prison, Hune wrote a column in The Guardian. When that finished, the political website Guido Fawkes mocked some of the more ridiculous lines penned by Hune, such as when he accused the son of making up fictional stories and his analysis of the Prime Minister's Sincerity and the time he tried to convince us that I've played my own part in giving MPs a bad name, but ultimately it's Rupert Murdoch's media machine that corrodes public trust best of the lot. Best of all, who can forget the greatest Hume column quote of all? Whatever happened to loyalty? When we hear these, we are of course reminded of some of Hume's own quotes, such as What I want to say is these allegations are simply incorrect, they've been made before, and they've been shown to be untrue, and I very much welcome the referral to the police as it would draw a line under the matter. I think credibility has never really been Hume's strong point. The same website also worked out the costs of the whole affair, noting that Hume took an MP's salary for the year and a day after he quit as a minister, also the 17 grand severance payment we discussed, and using the average cost of recent by elections, the by election to replace him at Eastleigh is estimated to have left the taxpayer with a £95,000 bill. The CPS say the cost of investigating and prosecuting Hune and Price reached almost £118,000, while the average national cost of imprisoning criminals put Hune and Price's stay in slammer at almost £40,000. So a total cost? £333,472. But of course, it's not really about the finance, is it? The real costs in this case are the human ones. Fast forward to today, and Chris Hewn is chairman of Zika Biomass Energy and a consultant for Nationwide Energy Services. If you go to his website, you can contact him to speak at your event. Incidentally, I could speak too. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Some have argued that Chris Hune was treated harshly over a minor offence, due to the UK public's love of seeing the powerful and arrogant brought to their knees. But I'm not too sure I agree. I think it's important that everyone, whatever their position, is subjected to the same rules. Although it can't be denied that the press did feast on every tasty morsel of the case, as the pompous and arrogant Hume was not well liked, even for a politician. Even the Daily Telegraph, one of our more sensible papers, wrote a mocking prison diary with material like my last night of freedom and I was at a party for one of my lawyers lots of top people there like Max Clifford and Hugh Grant interesting chat with Hugh about whether he liked to play me in the film I'm writing about my life I think he was flattered to be asked to play a younger, better looking man others thought I'd be wasted as a screenwriter and should become a lawyer an interesting idea I know everyone's very nice about my little difficulty. And lots of top executives take time out from their careers. Some do MBAs, others check into the Priory. I'm just taking a short break in order to spend less time with my family. It's a bit like a gap year, I suppose. Or a gap eight months, if the judge is lenient. A good networking opportunity. A good chance to find ways of paying back £110,000 in legal costs. And so it goes on. It's actually really quite funny. And Hume's main offence was serious. It really is a perversion of justice to palm off points. But that would have resulted in a mere 12 months' inconvenience. But he made a really serious error in compounding the offence by lying about it, then attempting to, as the expression goes, lawyer his way out of it. In other words, he tried every trick in the book to avoid facing his responsibilities. The outcome is he went to prison lost his career, and the damage to his family and friends is hard to fathom. It's a very high price to pay for what was originally such a containable, survivable offence. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. To support the show, please head to patreon.com slash Crime and please join us on Facebook to discuss this case and all aspects of UK True Crime. So that is all for me for now. On a rare sunny bank holiday, I'm going to head out and enjoy the unusually nice weather. So until we speak again next week, cheerio and remember, don't be a Chris Hewn, stay classy.